Today we are wrapping up our series on faith. We've seen how faith is trusting God. It's built up by working with others. And last week on Mother's Day, we saw how moms can be an amazing example of how to share our faith with others. On our last day with this topic, we are going to look at how our faith can change the world. We take one Sunday every year to explore the specific steps we can take to change the world. Sometimes it's big things, sometimes small, but it all makes a difference as we listen for God's call on our lives and do what we can to bless others. Let's look at our scripture for today. It's from the Apostle Paul, and he is at the tail end of a long chapter of how Jesus died and was raised. Jesus raised from the dead means we too will one day rise. How can this be? Let's hear from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 through 58. Hear now God's word. What am I saying, brothers and sisters? Is this flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God? Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable? Listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all die, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound... And the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishability, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When this perishable body puts on imperishability, and this mortal body puts on immortality, then the saying that is written will be fulfilled. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, because you know that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And from Revelation 21, verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven And the first earth had passed away. I invite you now to join me in our prayer of preparation. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. There once was a young man by the name of Marcus. When he was a boy, his parents had moved out of the city and into the country to give their two sons a more innocent life among farms and tree houses. Unlike most boys his age, though, he wasn't into sports. Instead, Marcus loved computers. He would tear down the family computer and try out all kinds of strange programs on it. When he was a little older, he found a way to load games onto school computers set up to prevent him from doing exactly that. When he got his own computer at home, his mom put on some parental controls. Marcus, though, he knew how to turn it off, uh, those controls. And when his mother set up the internet so he couldn't use it at night, he reset it and booted her off instead. They had to have a long talk after that one. Within a few years, Marcus had graduated from simply annoying his parents to becoming a full-blown hacker. He could steal passwords from Facebook or hijack people's computers for bot attacks. What he wouldn't do, though, was steal money from people. 
He had a, a moral code, and he refused to steal money from innocent people. In college, he made programs for people, but one person in particular asked him to make a program that would give someone access to a person's computer without being detected. He knew he shouldn't do it, but he wanted to get paid, so he built it anyways. When he finished it, his client told him he had hired another hacker to build a completely illegal application that would connect with his and commit bank fraud. The client told Marcus he built most of the program anyway, so either, either way he would be blamed for it. He might as well get paid by finishing the project. This was where Marcus could see his bleak future. He knew this program would be used to steal from innocent people. He would be arrested by the FBI and go to jail. He finished the project called Kronos so he could get paid for nine months of work. But Marcus also fell into a deep depression at its completion. He felt his life was over. He turned to drugs. He isolated himself from his parents. He felt impending doom from anxiety, and he lost hope. There was, however, one small sliver of light for Marcus. By this point in college, Marcus had a computer science professor that he liked. This professor encouraged him to finish, and when he did, he was ready for a new start, a clean slate. He didn't want the drugs that messed up his sleep schedule, so he decided to quit cold turkey. It took months with uh, the withdrawal symptoms to end, all while his anxiety increased. The whole next year was incredibly challenging, but he kept himself busy blogging about computer vulnerabilities. He used his experiences to help people protect their computers rather than to attack them. Eventually, he got so good at undoing these attacks that a major company in cybersecurity offered him a job with a six-figure salary. Marcus couldn't believe it. One year was more money than he had ever made as a cyber criminal. Within a few months, he was undoing some of the worst elements of cyber attacks. One day, Marcus was on vacation, but right in the middle of it, the single worst virus the world had ever seen was wrecking havoc. Dozens of hospitals in England were shut down, canceling emergency services because their computers stopped working. Hundreds of offices and clinics had closed, too. People died from this computer virus. Russian banks closed. Automakers in Europe and Asia shut down. Billions of dollars of information was lost or destroyed in just a few short hours. Marcus, as soon as he heard about it, went to work dissecting the code. In less than two hours, he accidentally found a way to stop the virus. At first, he didn't even know what he had done had worked, but when he did, he started jumping around his bedroom. He ran upstairs to tell his mother, and she said, well done, sweetheart, and went back to chopping onions. She clearly didn't understand the implications. It took a few days for his identity to come out, but when it did, dozens of reporters lined up at his front door for interviews. Calls came flooding in so that the family couldn't even answer the phone anymore. Marcus got free pizza for a year and free drinks from strangers. His parents 
finally realized that their son was a hero. Their boy who simply loved computers and had previously fallen in with the wrong crowd was now a savior. It's a beautiful, true story and points out some of the key ways that our faith changes the world. Even when things are bleak and we are at our lowest, whether it's drugs or heartache or a pandemic that has wrecked havoc on the plans that you may have had, Marcus reminds us not to give up hope. Paul says something similar in 1 Corinthians 15, but he doesn't point us to rewards like fame and free pizza. He points to something even better. So let me walk you through it. Paul begins saying, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. He's saying our physical bodies aren't the thing that goes to heaven. Then he describes a mystery. He says that we will change in the instant at the sound of a trumpet. That's a code for the end times. In Judaism, there is this day of the Lord where a final judgment of everyone will take place. The trumpet is the signal that people will be gathered to, uh, so God can judge the nations. So when the trumpet sounds at this final time of judgment, Paul says, we will all be changed. We will all be made ready for heaven, where there is no death or sin. Then he ends with this. Therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, because you know that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. His very last words here are key. In Paul's time, there was a very direct link for Jewish people between the afterlife and how people lived their lives. Essentially, if you didn't believe in the future world, you lived in immoral ways. If you did believe, then you would live rightly. So Paul's clear word is, the truth you already know is what will help you live well. You may be familiar with a scripture from Proverbs 29. It says, where there is no vision, the people perish. I think Paul is saying something similar. Our beliefs play a central role in how we live our lives. If we don't have a vision for what the world will be or how we will one day live together, then there isn't hope that it will come about. I think he would say, if you have faith, that is what compels us to live well and to live for God. This whole series has been about faith, and it's important to remember that we aren't talking about believing the right thing when we say faith. And we also aren't talking about living the right way when we say faith. Faith is bigger than either one of those ideas. It's a deeper and fuller thing. It's not something we achieve by believing better than others. Faith is simply Committing to God's way, no matter the obstacles, no matter the consequences. That's why Paul is talking about the end times here. He doesn't want us to get caught up in the current problems, bogged down by the daily grind. Instead, when we set our eyes on the end, on the goal of our work, we can keep clear just what it is that we are supposed to be doing in this world. It's not be perfect never make a mistake, 
always do the right thing. Instead, it's focus on where you want to go. It's the spirit is at work in each person for the good of everyone. It's if you don't have love, you can do no good. It's do good not just with your prayers, but by proclaiming God's message. And that message at its absolute core is that God loves this world. God loves me and you and everyone and calls us to a way of living that blesses everyone. That's why I am so inspired by Marcus's story. It's not just a nice story. It's a story of a boy who is going down the wrong path but figures out a way to turn it all around. He ends up blessing millions of people because he got past his own doubt and depression. He saw a hope for a better world. There's actually more to his story, too. After his heroic effort to stop a global computer virus, he ended up getting arrested for his earlier crimes. The cybersecurity community was up in arms thinking he had been arrested for stopping the virus. People did fundraisers for him. Lawyers took his case for free. All the while, Marcus was feeling so guilty because he knew he had, in fact, committed those earlier crimes. He had moral imposter syndrome. It took some time, but he had to go before a judge, and this is what the judge had said about him. He said he recognized how Marcus had turned a corner long before coming to face justice. He said Marcus was a hero and that there were too many positive things that he had done with his life since those crimes had been committed. Marcus was simply sentenced to time served and set free. For many of us, we are still at the part of the story where it's not a computer virus, but an actual virus destroying everything we love. In the middle of this pandemic, do you see hope for a better world? Others are stuck at the part of the story where you feel like an imposter. You've done wrong and you can't seem to make things right. How will you allow your faith to guide you? Are you figuring out ways to be a blessing to this world that God loves, or are you cowering in fear? Don't be scared of a disease. Don't be scared of being found a fraud. Faith isn't foolish, but it does recognize that there are bigger goals than our own personal agendas. Our faith, our vision of inheriting the kingdom of God compels us to work toward accomplishing God's goals, to live like Christ, so that when we go before the judge in heaven, he says, you were living for me well before you came here. You trusted me before you could see the world made new. See, a new heaven and a new earth are coming. The world is going to be transformed. The world is going to be changed. The only question is whether we'll be ready for it. With faith, you can be. Not because things are perfect in your life, not because you believe the right things, but because you trust God and you're living for him. That's how we change the world. Amen? Amen.